Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Summer heat can cause many plants' leaves to droop on a hot afternoon. Does this pose a particular problem for cucumbers? Will that stress affect the cucumber flavor? Our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, has the answers to your cucumber questions. UC Davis Arboretum Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts tells us all about how to grow dahlias. And if you want a great plant to attract pollinators and beneficial insects, it's hard to beat the butterfly bush. And the newest varieties are much more well-mannered and easier to care for. We'll tell you about the Pugster Blue Butterfly Bush. It's all on episode 123 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Hi, Farmer Fred. My name is Ari, calling from Sacramento, California. I have a question about drooping leaves on a plant during the day specifically on my pickling cucumber that I planted in a container. I have heard mixed messages about whether this is a natural response of the plant to prevent water loss or whether it actually represents dry soil. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Thank you for calling us, Ari. Appreciate it. Actually, she sent that question in via speakpipe.com slash garden basics. You can do the same and get your question in very easily and not have to uh, uh, pay for the data. So try that. Speakpipe.com slash garden basics. Oh, Debbie Flower is here. I am. I am. How coincidental. <laughs> and, and also coincidental is she loves cucumbers. I do. And the the thing that stuck out in my mind from that question was that these cucumbers are being grown in containers. That's tough. She set herself up for some some real intensive gardening. Uh, I say it's tough, meaning you have to pay more attention to things that are grown in containers than things that are grown in the ground, especially during the summer, because of the the pot can get very hot and can get very dry very quickly. When you water it, it gets very wet, very saturated very quickly. So you're, the plant is hitting extremes uh, and swinging back and forth and back and forth between waterings. And the temperatures are swinging back and forth, back and forth, day to night. This is a subject we've tackled many times on this program, mm-hmm. is the subject of droopy leaves on all sorts of plants during hot, hot days. Mm-hmm. Sacramento has had its share of hot, hot days, mm-hmm. uh, setting records, as have much of the West Yes, uh, this summer. I, I think the key is with droopy leaves in the afternoon is probably wait till morning and see if the leaves have rebounded. Right. It's a, a condition. The droopy leaves in the afternoon is a condition called temporary wilting point. And it, it means that the plant is wilting temporarily. And yes, big leafed plants like uh, cucumbers and squash don't have the ability to necessarily pump a lot of water to protect themselves against the tremendous amount of heat and sun that we are getting these days. And so they wilt and that helps them uh, protect the, they're called the stomates or the stomata, 
which are the pores where water leaves the plant. And so by wilting down, most of those pores are on the back of the leaf. So by wilting down, that creates a almost a little house over the uh, or tunnel over those stomata. And when they do release water, it stays underneath the leaf. When I grew a giant pumpkin with my students, we did a lot of research. And one of the things that was suggested was to put a, a microspray irrigation underneath the leaves specifically to keep them cool and uh, prevent that wilting. The wilting is inhibiting the growth of that plant and is inhibiting the fruit production of that plant. My experience is I get enough cucumbers without worrying about that. And so I do what you say, which is wait until the next day and see if the leaves have popped back up overnight. Does that wilting affect the flavor of the cucumbers? Would that wilting cause more bitterness in a cucumber? Bitterness in cucumber is dependent on several things, one of them being the cultivar or variety that was chosen, but another is the evenness or unevenness of the watering. I believe it would have to be to greater extremes than just wilting during that afternoon. But I would encourage Ari to check the soil when that happens. Mm -hmm. Growing in a container can, uh, the media in the container can shrink up. And she may think she's watering it really well, but the water may be just going around that shrunken ball of, of media and roots and not actually getting into the center of the plant. And so when the, the roots on the exterior have run out of water, there's no more in the root ball area to feed the plant. There are a number of ways in the field we do it, maybe by digging a hole or using a soil probe, which is a hollow tube that you stick down into the soil and bring it up. And on one side, it's missing the tube part and you can see the soil. In a container, I would get a, a nice moisture meter and just a moisture meter, not something that does moisture and pH and... Sunlight. <laughs> light, right. The, you want something that does one thing really well. They're not horribly expensive. They're readily available. Uh, and I would use that. You have to get to know it. So I would water the plant really well. And I wouldn't just add water on top. I would, if the, you've got it, find a container that's bigger than the pot it's in. And that may be very difficult. Uh, and submerge the cucumber pot into that larger pot and fill the larger pot up with water and let it sit for a couple hours. And then take it out and let it drain and use the moisture meter at that point. And that should tell you where the moisture meter is going to read when the soil is full of water. Then let it dry down, maybe go out when it's wilting, stick it in then and see where that is. And you can mark those with a piece of tape or a marker on the face of the moisture meter. And then you know you're trying to keep your water conditions in between the two. If I really, really wanted the sweetest uh, cucumbers and the most cucumbers, if as soon as I saw that wilting, I would drag my hose out and, and water that plant. If you're in the process of lifting that pot up to put into a bigger pot, uh, take a look at the drain holes on the bottom too. make sure they aren't clogged. They could be clogged by roots or by other debris, yes. Yeah. And then maybe when you put that pot back on the ground, don't put it on the ground. Raise it up an inch or two. Right. So you get some airflow underneath there and you get good drainage, yes. And maybe plant it next to the And then once the you've taken it out <laughs> or taken it out of the uh, out of that bigger pot and emptied the water, get some more media, cut yes. the roots and put it in there. Yeah. Transplant it into the bigger pot. Oh. That's a potential. Yeah. All right. Well, Ari, cucumbers can be tricky, but I think Debbie supplied a lot of good information there. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, my pleasure, Fred. 
We're glad to have SmartPots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And SmartPots clicks all those boxes. They're durable. They're reusable. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com slash Fred. It's SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to SmartPots.com slash Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next SmartPot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. If you want to turn your front yard into a pollinator airport attracting butterflies and hummingbirds, I have a suggestion for you. The Pugster Blue Butterfly Bush from Proven Winners. Let's talk with Stacy Hervella from Proven Winners. And Stacy, butterfly bushes are popular because of the flower size, but the old style butterfly bushes were kind of a hassle in, in late fall and winter because they get kind of gangly. But the Pugster Blue is so nice because it's compact and it's easy to care for. Yeah, that is, it is very easy to care for. And, you know, it doesn't become so much of a liability in the landscape. So, you know, butterfly bushes, for all of their fantastic qualities, long blooming, fragrant, super colorful, and of course, attracting butterflies and hummingbirds, they're just not at their best by the end of the season. And we really wanted to change that. So as we are developing butterfly bushes, you know, we're looking to create a more compact, landscape-friendly or garden-friendly habit that's really going to look good. And the Pugster is one way that we did that. So it reaches, for us, about two feet tall and wide. For you guys, it might get a little bit bigger simply because it has such a much longer growing season, um, you know, than it does in cooler climates. But it's still going to stay very compact. But unlike other very compact butterfly bushes, its flowers are the same size as the ones that get to be six, eight, ten feet tall. So you have this small, easy to grow plant with these absolutely gigantic flowers on it that will just give it so much impact in your garden or landscape. Exactly. And another benefit for us here in California is the butterfly bush doesn't require that much water. It has a very low water need to get through the summer. Now, that is definitely true. And in fact, that's even uh true for me here in Michigan. I grow, my garden is almost in pure sand and um, I don't ever need to give so much as a drop of supplemental water to my butterfly bushes and the deer don't touch them. So I don't know if deer are an issue for you, but they are definitely completely unbothered by deer and rabbits. And believe me, if they would be bothered by deer and rabbits, my yard would be a proving ground because I have an abundance of both. So yeah, they're, you know, they're easy to grow, they're easy to maintain, and they bloom for so long. And that, I think, is really one of the nicest factors about them is that, you know, you don't need to fuss around with doing something when they go out of bloom because they're really going to bloom all summer. And that's the great thing about Pugster Blue is that color. And I'm sure you've seen in the pictures, Fred, that, you know, they just have this beautiful true blue with a bright kind of orange-yellow eye in the center that just gives them this eye-popping effect. And you do not need to deadhead them, or in other words, remove the old bloom to continue the, the flowering. They will actually continue to flower without ha- you having to do that, which 
you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to deadhead a butterfly bush, but <laughs> I like to say it's a job for masochists. It's, <laughs> it's, there's no thorns or anything like that, but you know, it's so finicky because the way the butterfly bushes flower is they kind of have this forked bloom where they have two side blooms and the big one coming out the center. And the center one is the one that they turst the one that comes out first. So if you want to deadhead a butterfly bush, you have to have fine snips and you have to maneuver your way in there and just snip out that center bloom. And I'll tell you, it is not a fun task. I have done it more than I care to say. And the great thing about when you have a butterfly bush that doesn't need deadheading to continue to bloom is that it just takes that chore away because who wants to spend a summer day cutting off old flowers when you could just spend a summer day, you know, pulling up a lawn chair and, and enjoying fresh flowers. I guess so the best time to prune it then would be what in, in spring when the new growth emerges? Yeah. So, you know, basically, um, you know, they're going to spend fall and winter kind of semi dormant, um, maybe some leaves clinging to the ends of the branches and some flowers. And then when spring comes, what's going to happen is that new growth is going to emerge on the stem. And that's another thing I love about butterfly bushes is if you are not a confident gardener, if you're thinking, I don't, I'm afraid to prune things, I might hurt the plant. Butterfly bush tells you exactly where it needs to be pruned. If you wait until that new growth starts to appear and then you just look for where those those nice, fresh green buds are coming out and then you just want to go ahead and cut the branch off just above where that is emerging. And then that is the growth that's going to take over for the year. Now, this should be ultimately a, a very significant prune. You know, this isn't going to be a light trim where you're just taking off a few inches on a butterfly bush. You know, you want you want to take off quite a lot because if you do not, they become what I call and as reference, second story plants. You know, they're blooming way up there. And even for a, a compact variety like Pugster, without pruning them hard like that, the the plants are going to get kind of more spread out. They'll still be smaller and they'll still have big flowers, but you want to maintain that nice, dense, compact size. So, don't be afraid. Wait for that new growth. The plant says, "Hey, prune me right here." whack it off and you will be glad you did and for those who are unfamiliar with the flower shape of the uh, butterfly bush i would describe it as an upside down upright purple ice cream cone (laughs) i like that description yeah um it is it's it's spiky but not very pointy. it is pointy but it's not like a you know big upright they kind of cascade down slightly you can't help but notice them though they are very very showy And there's always a lot of them, which also means that there's always a lot of butterflies Mm -hmm. and hummingbirds and pollinators visiting them. Exactly. And one thing we didn't mention, and we should, uh, the butterfly bush, the Pugster Blue Butterfly Bush, is a show for the nose as well. Oh, gosh. Yeah, they have such a fantastic smell. Um, It pretty much, to me, you know, scent is always so subjective from person to person. Um, But to me, they smell like honey. And... Because they are going to be growing in full sun, they love a good, hot, sunny spot, all the better to release that fragrance on the air. And it is very, very sweet, like I said, honey-like. So that's one of the reasons that attracts pollinators and makes such a great plant. And I know you like to talk about growing shrubs in containers. The Pugster butterfly bushes are fantastic shrubs for containers and all the better to plant a bunch of them up and put them on your patio, balcony, deck whatever and and be able to enjoy that fragrance and that color and all the butterflies right up close yeah it only gets two to three feet tall and wide so a a 20 inch pot or or bigger would be perfect for it 
Yeah, or, you know, some of those more rectangular containers that mm. you'll see a lot for, you know, kind of creating almost like a hedge. It would be perfect in something like that as well. It's easy care, doesn't require much water. It loves a hot, dry spot in your garden. It's the Pugster Blue Butterfly Bush. And Stacy, if people want more information, I bet there's a website. There sure is. All you have to do is go to provenwinners.com. Type in Pugster, so that's P-U-G-S-T-E-R, like the dog with an S-T-E-R at the end. Put it in the search box, and you'll see all five varieties. Provenwinners.com is the website. Stacy Hervella, thanks for spending a few minutes with us telling us more about the Pugster Blue Butterfly Bush. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. You have a small yard, and you think you don't have the room for fruit trees? Well, Maybe you better think again, because Dave Wilson Nursery wants to show you how to grow great-tasting fruits, peaches, apples, pluots, and a lot more in small areas. You could even grow them in containers on patios as well. It's called Backyard Orchard Culture, and you can get step-by-step information via the fruit tube videos at DaveWilson.com. And that's where you're going to find the closest nursery to you that carries Dave Wilson's quality fruit trees. So start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. The Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a new video posted at their YouTube channel about choosing and planting many of the cool season vegetables that you might be considering. The downside? Oh, you're going to have to look at my face. Sorry. But there is a lot of good cool season veggie info to make up for that. Again, the video can be found at the Sacramento County Master Gardener YouTube page, and we'll have a link to that in today's show notes. Plus, coming up on Saturday, August 7th, the Master Gardeners have a full morning of garden presentations on their Harvest Day Zoom channel. I'll be one of the presenters, live from the Abutilon Jungle here at Barking Dog Studios in suburban Purgatory, answering your garden questions. That's Saturday, August 7th. And you need to register for this Zoom garden class. It's free. And you'll find a link in today's show notes. Or check out the Harvest Day page at the Sacramento County Master Gardener website, sacmg.ucanr.edu slash harvestday. Uh, Like I said, there is a link in the show notes. Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts, Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He always has a great plant for us, a plant that can be used in in much of the United States, and it's probably a plant that just might be putting on a show right now where you live. Warren, what do you have for us today? Here we are in midsummer, a lot of blooming plants in summer, but as far as wide adaptations, I I think uh, today's is very widely adapted. Well, um, I chose today dahlia. I mean, I was thinking, should it be sunflower? Should it be so many of the daisy relatives? But I think dahlia is worth considering. I think there are 57,000 registered cultivars. So it uh, has been cultivated for a long time. It was even grown before the conquest of Mexico for food. The um, uh, storage uh, tubers... I actually don't think they're tubers. The storage roots have produced inulin, which is a starch, which is edible. It's the same <clears throat> same one that you, uh, that you get when you uh, cultivate the um, Jerusalem artichoke, which is a sunflower. So dahlias were, were not known until the discovery of Mexico by Europeans. And two species in particular, a, a red-flowered one called Dahlia coccinea, 
and it also comes in yellow and orange, and then a purple one called Dahlia pinata. And those two are wild in the mountains of Mexico. And there are actually about 42 species, which range from Mexico down to Colombia. But those two are the main ancestors of the cultivated Dahlia. So when they were brought back to Europe, this would have been in the 1500s, more likely. Uh, people say, wow, this is a beautiful thing. And people then started hybridizing and choosing and and so on until we have this amazing amount of, of beautiful flowers. It is a tropical, it's made native to tropical mountains, but it's um, in, in Europe and in places where you get snow, you, at the end of the season, you divide the clumps, making sure that you have a piece of stem on each one of the, the large uh, food storage roots. Uh, if you don't, then you're out of luck. So you have to have a piece of the stem connected to it. It doesn't have to be very big. And then they're stored. My uncle in Ontario, Oregon, had a, a large collection of dahlias, and every year he'd dig them up and put them in the root cellar uh, until the uh, danger of frost was passed, and he'd plant them out again. But they're worthwhile. The flowers are gorgeous. In fact, it's, uh, let's see, dahlia, D-A-H-L-I-A, -A, the spelling. And it is actually the national flower of Mexico. Hmm. It's a good a good choice since the species that make make up the ancestry are, are both from Mexico. And one time, this was years ago, in the mid-60s, I was in Mexico City, and the uh, director of the of the parks and, and, and tree uh, uh, for the federal district in Mexico had been at Davis Grad, University of California, Davis, and he uh, toured me around, and there were huge plantings of dahlias in the new uh, Chapultepec Park, which is uh, the big hilly area. Patches of dahlias, each one a single color, and uh, about the, each one was about the size of a of a living room and dining room. <laughs> it just impressed me so much the the pride of the the country in its own national flower. There are also dahlias which are almost tree like. They look almost like bamboos. They get both of 15 feet tall or more with huge uh, clusters of flowers. Those are pretty uh, pretty much limited to areas that have mild winters. But uh, I remember Dad brought home what looked like a length of bamboo, stuck it in the ground, and oof, we had dahlias. <laughs> so that's Dahlia imperialis. It's kind of an appropriate name. Of the 42 species, about 14 of the wild species are all actually available um, in the, the trade, particularly in Europe, but also in this country, too. In our climate, which is hot and dry in the summer, they prefer a little bit of a shade in the afternoon, but they're easy to grow, and the, the cultivars include little ones, too, so you can have it as a bedding plant. And I, I remember seeing a, a beautiful planting of those at the Montserrat uh, Sanctuary in, in Spain, in Catalonia. But I've seen it here as well, so it's uh, they're available. How the heck do you keep a six-foot dahlia upright? Well, the staking is often needed for dahlias. The the one that's the tree dahlia, though, it has an extensive root system, so <laughs> it stays upright. But the, the taller dahlias often need to be staked. The flowers can be so huge that... that <laughs> They can, can almost pull the plant over. But uh, not much fragrance to the dahlia, at least not that I know of, but with uh, a stunning beauty of eye candy from the garden. 
it really is. Uh, they really are worth growing. I think you may have answered a question that we had on this show a few weeks ago from Mary in Virginia, and she was having some dahlia issues. A uh, storm came in and broke her dahlia, leaving oh, yeah. basically just a, a small stem. And she was wondering, well, is it going to live or not? Sure, it'll live. It's too bad that you, that the top was lost, but as long as there's a, a bit of the root with a bit of the stem, I mean, that's all you need, really. So, yeah, uh, don't don't dig it up and throw it away. Just watch it and take care of it. So all you but, need is patience. Uh, that's all we, that's all, all we need. <laughs> Where do you get patience these days? I don't know anybody that sells it. There's a hospital down the street that has them. Oh, you have? Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, yes, patience is good. And, gosh, you know, this is one of those flowers where you have national societies, National Dahlia Society. And great enthusiasm. There are flower shows. Um, I think it'd be, it'd be worthwhile to uh, check your, the search engine on your iPhone and, and just, just put in Dahlia, D-A-H-L-I-A, and look at the images. Doug, <laughs> it's almost endless. In what climates do you have to dig them out for the winter? Any place where the ground is going to freeze. Yeah, well, what, what's the process for doing that? Well, usually there has been a frost that uh, that kills the top. So at that time, you dig down, and they're usually, uh, I, don't, I don't know, it depends, usually more than three, usually five or six of these thickened. They look almost like sweet potatoes. So you dig them up, and you cut them carefully so that, again, a little piece of the stem is connected. Because food storage organs themselves don't have buds. They're not like a potato. So they have to have a bit of stem attached. And then you can uh, put them in the, in the root cellar. Most people in those climates know what that's about. <laughs> it does. It, it, it's worthwhile. And then in, in the springtime, when the danger of frost is passed, you plant them out, uh, water them, fertilize them, and away you go. All right. Do you have to dust them with sulfur to prevent rot or anything like that? Well, I think uh, a fungicide would be a good idea. I myself don't. <laughs> I wish. I wish my uncle were still living. I would call him up and ask. But uh, usually, in areas where dahlias are treated that way, there are people that know about that, and the nurseries, local nurseries in places with those climates, would be able to help. Yeah, I would imagine you would be storing it uh, in in your root cellar in something like sand or sawdust or vermiculite, mm-hmm. and something else to keep them to keep them. Uh, from rotting, you don't you don't want them in a wet situation. They come in a wide variety of sizes. The flower shapes are amazing. Uh, if if you ever get a chance to go to a dahlia show, check uh, your garden clubs in the area where you live. And if there's a dahlia society, a dahlia club, be sure to go to one of their shows and sales and uh, check out just the amazing variety of flowering dahlias that exist. That's right. There's just so much, so much to them. So. Don't waste time. Don't dilly-dally around. Thank you, Dahlia. Yes, it's the Dahlia, widely available, a great summer bloomer. Warren Roberts is the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. The Arboretum is open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but basically do it during daylight where you can see where you're going. And uh, next time you're in Northern California, visit Davis, visit the Arboretum. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. For more information about it, you can visit their website, arboretum.us. UCDavis.edu. Warren Roberts, the plant of the week, the Dahlia. Thank you so much. 
Thank you too, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.